to In The Between. Um, just sharing a video here that I did of an interview with Jake Edwards and Dipper on the Outside the Locker Room Live Thursday night um, program. I was lucky enough to be invited on by the guys to, to share uh, with them on there. Um, and I just wanted to give a big shout out, uh, particularly to Jake Edwards, who's the CEO of Outside the Locker Room, um, to explain what Outside the Locker Room is. Uh, it's a, an organisation that goes around to, to clubs and, and schools around the country and we do educational sessions on uh, things like mental health, um, drug and alcohol awareness, gambling awareness, leadership and culture. We uh, educate coaches on the signs to look out for with their players uh, for mental health and substance abuse issues and how they best support those people. But I guess you know the most important part of outside the locker room is the welfare mechanism that uh, sits on the backside of that through the app, and um, so there's a place where the guys can uh, message the the uh, organisation, and uh, through our welfare team headed up by Cindy, um, and then there's a the raft of counsellors, five and a half thousand counsellors around the country through our association with um, the Australian Counselling Association. So um, I just wanted to do a massive shout-out and say, you know, I'm Jake, someone I call a, a, a great mate of mine, and I'm immensely proud of Outside the Locker Room and, and the work we do, and, and I do a lot of facilitating for Outside the Locker Room up here in, uh, in Brisbane and Queensland and in the wider Queensland area, um, and, uh, and I'm really proud that I was able to be on the show with the guys. So I hope you enjoy, um, and this is the, Friday, uh, the Thursday night live show with uh, Jake and Dipper. We're going to jump into our local legend now. He's a guy by the name of Corey Sells who pioneered our sort of locker room up in Queensland. As I mentioned earlier, Dip, we had Christy near on a show last week who pioneered OTLR over in WA. Now, Corey is not only a great supporter of our program up there, but he's also a good mate of mine, someone I speak to on a, on a weekly basis. We talk about a wide range of things. He's got a terrific story. He's a former president of a local football club up there called the Ginger League Jags, who was our first local club in Brisbane. They're a fantastic club. Corey's done a lot of tremendous work there. We look forward uh, to having a conversation with you, Corey, and the great work that you're doing up there, mate. But you've got a tremendous story as well about your history with drug and alcohol use and uh, recovery and rehab, which we'll talk about as well. Welcome to the show, mate. Good on you, boys. How are we going? Going really well, Corey. Uh, yeah, welcome. Uh, I see in the background there, mate, you've got some nice jumpers up there. Have you, have you got a collection of, uh, of memorabilia yourself? I do, mate. In actual fact, but there's your books over there. I don't tell you. Oh, my book? Which one? <laughs> I've written five, Corey. Which one? <laughs> he hasn't written them. He, he, he wouldn't have written You wouldn't have written the books, did you? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. All my books have got pictures, mate. <laughs> you colour them in. Uh, welcome along, Corey, and uh, I know you're great mates uh, with, uh, with Jake, but also, how did you get involved with uh, Outside the Locker Room? Well, actually, mate, I'd, I'd um, listened to the Howie Games and I uh, heard Jake's interview on the Howie Games, um, and that really made an impact on me. Obviously, my story's um, from one of substance abuse, and I, I listened to Jake's story, and, and sort of, I guess they aligned a little, and... Um, and then it was only a couple of weeks later I saw 60 Minutes and, and Jake was on that uh, episode with them uh, when that young fellow had suicided and Jake was trying to support the family. And I turned to my uh, partner in and I said, I want to meet this bloke and I want to do something with him. I've actually got goosebumps thinking about that at the moment. And it was only a couple of days later I jumped on a plane, flew to Melbourne and um, met Jake at a, at, at a hotel down there. Um, and... Uh, and that's all she wrote. I, um, we just met, it clicked, and um, 
nearly made me late for the return flight home having such a conversation with him. And uh, and we just decided to do something. And, and um, there was another fellow up here called Andy Colenso that was pretty keen to jump on board. So Andy was president of the Park Ridge Pirates. I was president of Jindalee Jags. So um, we got the guys up. We ran a session at, um, at Jindalee Jags and then Jake convinced me to be a facilitator. And, <laughs> and away I went. I did a, I did a, uh, a session at Park Ridge Pirates. That was... Well, coming into four years ago now, I think, and um, yeah, we've been involved ever since, Dip. Yeah. So, um, Dip, I didn't say this off the top, but Corey is a, a, a mad Hawthorne. Oh, is he? And, oh. And, and, don't, oh, let the, don't let the Brisbane Lions jersey put you off. That's my missus, and you know. Under my thumb. Corey, uh, what number did you have on your back as a kid? Now, don't say nine. What's that? On your back as your Hawthorne jumper. Did you have a Hawthorne jumper? What what numbers do you have on the back? I actually, had a seven, I actually had a seven. At a seven, Gary is. I would have had a seven as well. Conan the Barbarian, we used to call him. Yeah. The biggest card. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the biggest card. But do not oh, get the way. Do, do not get the way of Gary is and, uh, because he uh, he ran straight. And, there's a part in our eight grand final when mm. we went from centre-half back to centre-half forward just pushing the ball in and out, whatever, and he, he got flicked out, you know, kicking a, a couple of goals and got the North Smith medal in, uh, in, in 1988. But anyway, yeah. uh, Corey's nickname's Cuddles. Ah, Cuddles, yeah, what's going on there, bud? You want to give us a story <laughs> behind that, Cuddles? Well, I guess the boring story is is that whenever I see my mates, I hug them, but that's not where it came from. No, I actually right. do do that. But I do that because... Um, a handshake is actually a sign of distrust. It's where it was born. Um, so when we used to meet as, um, you know, back in medieval days, everyone fought with their right hand. So if you were going to hug someone, you'd stab them in the back. So you'd walk in with your hands like this, shake, and then hug. So I like to meet my mates with a, with a cuddle, but that's not where it actually came from. It's got a history there. <laughs> we... Uh, I guess the funny side is, mate, if you give me 10 beers and I'll show you, if, you give me, if I give you 10 beers, Zip, you'll let me. We're going to do after COVID, mate. We're going to do after Corona. There'll be no hugs, no nothing, no shaking. Oh, no, mate. It's, uh, it's very difficult. My mates are safe at the minute. Um, <laughs> it actually came from a footy trip. We went on a, uh, on a little footy trip up in Toowoomba and um, we stayed at a place called the Wilsonton Hotel and and it's a bit of a, uh, a bikey hangout, actually, and our coach at the time, Smokey, had said, now, listen, fellas, we don't want to look like we're taking over this pub. Um, just stick to the side, stay to ourselves. We don't want any trouble. And then over the top of someone's shoulder, there I was, walking across behind the bikies of beer. And I'm <laughs> hugging them and carrying on. And he went, that's what we're doing. That's what It's a terrific story. And, Corey, you've got, you've got plenty of them. Now, just quickly, um, let's just take it back, mate, to your personal experience and, and journey with, with uh, addiction. Yeah, so um, I, I guess to take it back from there, I, I had a fairly unstable childhood with a, a, a lot of abuse and a lot of uh, emotional, sexual, um, and you know, sort of my mother was a bit of an emotional blackmailer. And there's a whole lot of stuff that happened in, in my childhood. It wasn't very um, conducive to be a, a happy childhood, I guess. And that made me um, internalise uh, my emotions quite a bit. And I became quite introverted. Um, and I guess later on in life, um, just as a, a matter of growing up, someone introduced me to alcohol. And that changed me from being someone who was very internalised, very introverted to external. And I was out with my mates and 
and they thought I was great and fantastic and everyone was laughing with me. So I attributed being accepted um, to alcohol really early. So I started to, uh, I guess, create the habit of whenever I was going out um, into social areas to start drinking. And um, that went from sort of just on the weekends being, you know, as a lot of us do to pretty much every day. I was, I was on the piss every day unless I didn't have any money. Um, and then, um, you know, I hadn't touched a whole lot of uh, drugs when I was a young fellow. You know, experimented with a bit of marijuana, but not a great deal. Um, and was living in a, in a house with six guys and a fellow introduced me to marijuana again. I actually said to him, I don't, I don't really like it because marijuana made me go back internal again. And I wanted to be, I was already living in here. I was numb. I felt um, I had very little self-worth. I didn't really understand who I was. Um, so alcohol, extroverted, was awesome. Um, well, I thought it was. And then marijuana made me internalize again. So I said to him, I don't like it. And rather than being a mate to say, okay, dude, you know, don't, don't worry about taking any more. He said, I can fix that for you. And he put speed on the top of the marijuana I was smoking. So I ingested um, speed for the first time. And I guess the feeling of that made me just, you know, feel like I was insurmountable and I could do whatever I wanted. So I quickly ditched the, the marijuana sort of that and, and I just started uh, bombing or swallowing speed. Um, and then that went into snorting. Um, and then one very fateful day, uh, another uh, guy I was knocking around with said to me, hey, have you ever injected? And, um, and I was pretty much up for anything to, for an adrenaline rush. Um, so skydiving, you know, bungee jumping, water skiing, partying, whatever I could do to try to make myself feel alive because inside I felt so numb. Um, and I said yes, and um, I think you'd call it PTSD now, but I've actually got a very, very clear memory. Of, I can remember the pattern on the spoon that we used. Um, and I injected for the first time, and and I actually fell in love with the risk of that, um, Jake, at the start. You know, that first, that first hit and releasing my arm and my heart hammering so hard and so quick. And I had very, very low self-esteem. I've actually had a, um, you know, a lot of thoughts of suicide before that. Um, and it was the risk of drug use that um, attracted me. And then obviously the party that came after that. Um, so that recreational use on the weekends was speed, ecstasy, cocaine, acid, whatever I could get my hands on, I would use. Um, and then I guess... Sorry, mate. Sorry. sorry to cut you off there. It's just um, so I think that that led you down a path of rep, you know, regular use, and um, yeah. and then eventually you, you turn things around and you got some support. Um, so, what what did that support look like? Look like um, so for me, I was starting to use. I was very secretive with my usage, obviously, and and um, not many people actually knew what I was doing. But on um, on the fifteenth of the six ninety nine probably a long time before some of your listeners were born, um, my young daughter was born. And um, that night I went out for a wedding of the baby's head and, and it, um, in an Irish pub in Albert Street and I shot up that night. Um, you know, I carry a, a, a still a lot of um, guilt, I guess, and, and just, uh, you, know, I'll, you know, obviously accept that now, but I'm, I'm not very proud of that moment. But the next day I walked into that hospital and, and um, saw her lying there and I just had this overwhelming thought that I needed to change my life. I needed to be a better person. I needed to be a better dad. And I went down in front of the hospital and I rang a mate of mine, uh, someone I trusted. And I said to him, look, I don't know how I got here. I don't know 
why I'm doing this or what I'm, what I'm doing, but I need your help. And he came and picked me up and he took me down to the Gold Coast of the casino actually and introduced me to a fellow who ran rehab programs for alcoholics or gambling addicts or drug addicts. And, and uh, I actually got taken to an AA session first, kicking and screaming. Um, and, uh, and then he realised that I was, my substance abuse was much, um, you know, probably not so much worse, but I was just a different substance abuse than that. So he took me to my first rehab, uh, drug rehab session. Um, Corey, and, when you went you know, to uh, the AA, did you stand up and say, hi, I need help, or did you just try and say, no, I don't know why I'm here? You know, it's all denial? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I actually very clearly remember the conversation I had with that fella in the car park downstairs, and I said, oh, I don't need to be in this stuff. You know, this isn't me. They're up there telling me stories about drinking alcohol. I drink more alcohol than most of those boys drink. I was just argumentative. And and then the fellow that was down there said to me, I actually want you to come somewhere else, mate, because I think there's um, something else going on. And he took me to a, a drug rehab facility on the coast. And I sat in my first circle work. And I was sitting across from guys. Um, I was actually dressed in suit pants and a, and a, a dress shirt. And I'm sitting across from guys in torn board shorts and ripped singlets who are living on the street with scabs all over, and I'm looking at them thinking, how the hell did I get here? And that was the moment I went, oh, I need this, this yeah. is where I'm heading. And taking that thing away from those guys, you know, they would ask the same question, how the hell did I get here? You know what I mean? Because yeah. uh, as you were talking before, it all seems to be about drugs and partying, you know? I mean, what happens in between that? Mm. You know, for someone who's never taken drugs before, whatever. I mean, what happens if you mentioned partying, you know? I've got a party, party. Why do I have to take drugs to go party, Jake? What's, what's to go there? Yeah, I guess it's just something in the Australian culture. You jump in here, Corey, um, yeah. you know, with your experience as well. That we, we, we go out, we party. It's, it seems to be um, uh, the next step of progression. You drink alcohol. We know that when you drink alcohol, you're about 76% chance likely already to make the wrong decision. So it inhibits, uh, inhibits our ability to process information, to, um, to make calculated decisions. Yeah. Alcohol it will bring that down and more likely than not, you're going to make a decision based on insecurity, fear, um, maybe judgment. So you're around your mates, you don't want them to think ill of you. So therefore you find yourself in an environment where next thing you know, you, you're using. So yeah. as much as it is alcohol and drugs, it's about people in the circle. It was actually interesting for me because the mates that I was hanging, were hanging around, they were recreationally used, but I just went to a different level than them. And it was actually, for me, Dipper, it was about hiding pain. Um, I had so much abuse in my childhood that I had not dealt with. Um, I had never really openly spoke about that. And I was desperately trying to have some sort of sense of self mm -hmm. and just feel. I just didn't feel anything. And when I finally got help, you know, a guy called Murray Masaryk really helped me through an organisation called Real Man. And, and he said to me, mate, for you, it's like you've got a six-inch plate between your head and your heart. You just can't connect. And... Um, that's what it was really like for me. Um, so my usage was really about, you know, from the outside, everyone would have just thought Cuddles is just partying or wasn't Cuddles back then. But, you know, Corey's just partying and he's having a great time. But inside, I actually felt like I was dying. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. what it was for me. Yeah, yeah definitely. As uh, a father, as a father now, I mean, how many children do you have now? Four. Four, four children, wow. And, and what age group were you doing this sort of... Uh, Partying and drugging and you know, alcohol. Yeah, yeah. I was um, around the age my kids are actually. I was, right. I was, uh, 
around that 22. I'd had a marriage. I was married very early and had a marriage break up early. Yeah. Um, so I was around that 22 to 27. You know, you must be, uh, as a father, you know, you understand now that there's a different world out there. When when the kids went out, when I went out, it was beer and, you know, and, you know, spirits, a bit of, a bit of marijuana, as they used to call it. But I, I never touched that sort of stuff. But, but today, the choices the kids have got and the peer pressure, what is, as a father, what do you say to your children? Like, be honest and say, kids, I've done what you think. If you think what, that you're doing what I haven't done, I've done everything. But you want to do something, come and tell me and we'll go through it all, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I talk to my kids. My, my kids know my story. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm very open and my whole family does. Um, and we, we've got a really supportive Mrs. Toomate and, um, and she's an amazing human being. She's been through her own life, not addiction, but she's been through her own life story. So we're really connected to our past and, and have really understood Lovely. You know, why, we, why we presented that behaviour. So, yeah, I do talk to my kids about that and what they're going to be presented with and they, and they may want to experiment. Um, but I just talk to them about our story and uh, particularly mine and, and what that did for me and, and where that led. Um, you know, I don't, I, my, my children hardly drink alcohol, mate. Yeah. You know, they're all over but, 18. But it's hard um, to sort of say, don't do this, don't do this, don't go that road. Of course, as soon as you, as soon as you say don't, they're going to do it, right? So you've just got to be open yeah. up. Well, the way I... I treated my children to go, listen, if you want to smoke, smoke in front of me. You don't have to hide, right? You can come and smoke in front of me. And after a while, it, didn't, it wasn't cool anymore to smoke in front of Dad. You know what I mean? So you're trying, to bring, you're trying to bring them close to it and try to cut them off pretty quickly. Yeah, and I think kids yeah. these days have access to information. Yeah, yeah online oh, well, so and much information. That's yeah, what the what show's what about. Kids out there, we're, we're here to help you. Sorry, Corey, you say something? Yeah. So we, we have... Um, I understand what you're saying, Dip. I don't sort of really subscribe to some of that. We have really clear boundaries around our kids. So what's acceptable with the car is not smoking, not smoking drugs, not having drugs here and not coming home like that. But we just really openly talk to them about it. Mate, our kids don't fear us to talk to us about that stuff. I guess that's the difference is that they feel like they can come and talk to us because one thing you did say before, that there's probably nothing they're going to go through, mate, that, Nah, exactly right. I want to say about smoking cigarettes wasn't the other stuff, like, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have that in my house. There's no, no way known. But being an Italian boy, I, you know, I would, as most Italians and, and Mongols would know, you start drinking at the table when you're about six or seven, a bit of, uh, bit of yeah, soda yeah. with a wine and all that sort of stuff. And then when you become 18 or whatever, it's, 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 it's part of our nature. It's not something you've got to run out and say, oh, I can have a beer now, you know what I mean? Mate, I've been drinking wine since I was six. <laughs> Corey, no wonder you had courage when you were um, playing 89. <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> Corey, we can't thank you enough for joining us tonight, mate. Yeah, it really means, uh, means a lot to share your story. and uh, you're, you're a terrific man. I'll, I'll put in there your bio that you're basically the mayor of Queensland football. Uh, the work you've done up there <laughs> in the community is, is sensational. We can't thank you enough, and we're very honoured and proud to have you a part of our program. It's exciting news that I can announce uh, that we're working very closely with the Brisbane Lions over the next four months in a partnership with them. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks for the great support to Cathy Reid and, and Stuart Giles uh, of um, Epic Good Foundation that have actually put in the financial support to run that program. And, and, and I love that little T-shirt you got on there, mate. More than just a game. Yeah, we, we are, it is more than just a game. It really is. Know, but yeah. uh, Corey, great. 
Great to hear you're a Hawthorne supporter too, my friend. You know? Yeah. Uh, so uh, next time we'll come up to Queensland, we'll have a beer and, uh, and, and a hug. Cuddles, all right? I'll give you a hug. There's a big space up there for some memorabilia too, Dipper. If yeah. just I've got plenty, mate. <laughs> I hope you can afford it. It might cost you. All right, Cuddles, see you, mate. See you, Cuddles. Have a great show. What a great story, Jake. Oh, terrific story. A terrific guy. Um, for everyone who, who was listening to that, you would heard a few things that Corey spoke about in terms of drugs and alcohol. And if anything was triggered for you personally and you want to reach out and speak to someone, that's what our program is available to do. So you can use that on our social media. You can ask any questions through there or jump on our website uh, and message our welfare team through there. Otherwise, you can call our friends at Lifeline Dipper who do tremendous work on 13, 11, 14 and have a chat chat with them but we'll be back after this we're going to jump to a short ad break and when we come back we're going to jump into the new segment dip what's it called the leo barry Barry! well i hope you enjoyed that interview with uh with jake and dipper he's a uh he's a funny bugger dipper um jake doesn't go too bad either um just one thing i wanted to clarify uh, at the end of that is sometimes it can seem when we're going through a quick um, interview like that and when we're talking about our lives um, you know, re- in a really short space of time, particularly my story there, it can sound like that I made a decision back in 99 and, um, and then my life became instantaneously um, clear and, um, and I was you know, a, a perfect life. Um, but it just wasn't like that um, for me at all. Um, you know, there was... My, my relationship with alcohol actually worsened after that for a little while, particularly binge drinking. Um, and it took me quite a number of years to understand why I was doing that. Um, and many years, in fact, of why I was doing that and why I was displaying that behavior. Um, so, um, and there was a lot of relationship breakdown um, just post that decision and, um, and in, the, in the subsequent years, uh, different relationships and you know work and um, friendships and you know, the people surrounding me. So um, I just wanted to, to, to make sure I'm really clear on that, that uh, it, it's not just a one-day decision. It's, it's a, it, it really is a, a life commitment to change and, and to continue to evolve. Uh, what I would say, though, is if you are going through a mental health issue or you're going through a substance abuse um, issue at the minute, seek help, reach out to someone you trust or go to somewhere that you know you can trust. But, but stick to the plan. There's one thing I didn't do is really stick to... Um, the process that I guess those people around me were giving me. Um, you know, there was a points of time where I felt like I'd got to a certain point, so I was okay and um, and didn't really stick to anything. So I'd go back to some old behaviours. I didn't go back to, to taking drugs, but particularly drinking alcohol. Um, so make sure you stick to your plan because life can get a whole lot better. And a big part of that is surrounding yourself with um, the right people particularly people who will challenge you to get out of your comfort zone and experience new things and, um, you know, uh, I guess push yourself to be a better person per se uh, or a better version of yourself maybe. Um, but really stick to stick to the process and, and commit to making change um, forever in a day and, and begin that involvement. But... Um, Look, I hope you all keep well. If you are in in need of any assistance, please reach out either, um, you know, through myself or through the OTR network or just with Lifeline or Beyond Blue or or a friend. Um, But uh, thanks for watching um, and we'll see you again shortly on In The Between. (music) 